The following message was recorded Sunday, September 17, 2023. Pastor Ritt continues his series in the book of Acts. This morning Pastor Ritt covers Acts 7 verse 1 through verse 36. Stephen shares the history of Israel and the glory of God with the high priest and the council. There may be a day Christian, when you will be called upon to share the truth of God's word and the gospel, we will only be able to do it if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And now, here's Pastor Ritt. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. Do you know what today is? Rapture Day. Rapture Day. <laughs> As we were singing, I couldn't help but think, uh, you know, raise us higher and higher up into the heavens. In, uh, let's see, at 12 o'clock our time, it'll be 7 o'clock in the evening Israel time, and that will end Yom Teruah, Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, but it doesn't mean that it's over yet, right? Because we know, if you were here Wednesday night, I told you to go back and do a little investigation into the Revelation 12 sign in the heavens. Anybody do that? Yeah, and then the very uh, uh, exciting aspect to that is that all of those alignments are going to take place perfectly when? Tuesday, the 19th, Tuesday, this Tuesday. So it's fascinating, the time at which we're in. But I was, I was just whispering to my wife as we were singing, wouldn't it be glorious if he takes us right now? <laughs> yeah, all together, right up to, in the clouds to be with him forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. That day's coming soon, beloved. Jesus is coming. Ready or? But you're all ready, aren't you? Yeah, we're ready. Yeah. What else is today? Sunday. It is Sunday, the Lord's Day. Yeah, Sunday was the day in which the apostolic church always met, although it was the first day of the week. It was a work day for them, so they would meet in the evening, right? Yeah. All right, besides that, what is today? What is it? Well, it was a new year on Friday, Rosh Hashanah. Happy New Year, everybody, right? The Jewish New Year. Everybody make a New Year's resolution? I hope, to be a better influencer. We'll talk about that in a minute. But there's a, today marks a significant day in the history of the United States. You know what today is. It's the thing we're forsaking more and more. Yes, today's Constitution Day. Today is celebrated as Constitution Day in the United States. How quickly and how easily we forget. Forget our foundings, our foundation. Now, it's not unusual. Your homework assignment last week was to do what? Acts seven. Read Acts 7. And to do what with Acts 7? Look at the comparison between the history of Israel, old and to the present day, and compare that to the history of the United States. Now, uh, I would like you to share with me what you found out, but wait until John Michael brings you the mic so the folks listening in, we have some people who are ill. And let me say something. If you got the sniffles or you're not feeling well, you got a little sore throat, please stay home. Watch us online. But for the preciousness of others, we don't want to spread whatever it is that might be going on around right now. And we know it's the election variant. Okay. It's just a cold. It's just you know, symptomatic of the season we're in. But uh, if you are feeling bad, stay home. Watch online. Stay in your PJs. Enjoy a cup of tea. And we'll wave to you. Everybody wave to everybody back home. Hi, everybody. Yeah. Hi, John and Susan. Say hi to Dana. Hi, Dana. We miss you, dear. Yeah. Okay. Enough of that. Who would like to share what they had discovered or how the Lord spoke to them in looking at chapter 7 and trying to make that analogy or comparison between what happened with Israel and their history and ours? Anybody? Don't be bad. Listen, don't be bashful. We're a family. It's a living room conversation. We're on the table, okay? While partaking of the bread of life right now, we all have our knees under the same table, so we're communing. So let this be conversational. Who's the first one to want to jump in the water? Such timidity. Lord, I come against the spirit of timidity right now, Lord. Because you've not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind, Lord. And the righteous are to have boldness in our proclamation. And where so more than any place else in the house of God. My goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, who are you? 
Yeah. It's me. Bring, bring the mic. You got the mic? Okay, go ahead. I got the mic. Adele? Um, well, um, what came Arlene? up for me was that um, Stephen accused them of being given the law, but they couldn't keep the law. And we were given this wonderful constitution, and it appears mm. that none of our leaders constitution. They have no desire to. Right. Yeah, we're trampling upon our own constitution. Now, did you did that come to you this morning just now as I shared it was Constitution Day? Uh, no, that was, um, no, we did a little bit of research. Oh, good, but, good, yeah. good, 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 good. Mm -hmm. uh, let me say, in your research, Washington, D.C., the city of Washington, D.C., what was this called formally? That I don't know. Sorry. Anybody know? I'll take you to lunch. <laughs> the swamp. <laughs> Nobody knows? That's unfair to Google it. Rome. Rome. Our forefathers wanted to mimic the Republic of Rome in the Constitution and the forming of our government. They weren't duplicating the theocracy that's found in the scriptures. They wanted to duplicate the Republic of Rome, and they actually called Washington, D.C. for a short time Rome. What's significant about that when we look at the architecture of the buildings and the structure within Washington, D.C.? Hmm. Occultish. The idolatrous occult symbols. It's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Yet, yet, in all of that, okay, and, and their misguided forming of the nation, God chose to have his people, the pilgrims, the Puritans, come. And, and, and they, they held back what we now see today, unfortunately. But anybody else? Anybody else have something they want to share? Come on. I know you read it. I know you did your homework. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Deborah. I know your voice is loud enough to carry the room, but we want to get you recorded. Morning, Deborah. Okay, so the parallels that I saw... Israel, when God chose them and he brought them out of bondage, he gave, brought them to a land that he promised. He gave them a safe place. He promised to be with them and to guide them and to provide for everything they needed. He did the same thing here. He brought them here. He found this new land for them, and he provided this beautiful place, and it was free, and it was safe. And Israel of old went into that land, and they didn't do what he told them to do. They didn't obey him. They didn't keep his word. And it went to pot really fast, 200 years. Well, give didn't or take. take long. Didn't, didn't take long. long. They forsook his word, and they gave mm. over to the idolatry. We've been a nation for how long? 300. 300 years. It didn't take us long. And we have forsaken him again. And we're right there on the cusp of being judged just as Israel was by other nations. We, we are a train that has gone off the cliff and it doesn't hit bottom yet. Yeah. But it's going. It's, it, it, it's going to. We're, we're about to derail. Yeah. And, and I mean, the parallel not, is not, unprecedented. You can't get away from it. Right, right. Not to give you a spirit of fear, because God has not given us a spirit of fear. Perfect love, what? Yeah. Cast out all fear. Yeah. And, and you are, if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, you are the object of his perfect love. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, anybody else? Back here, Andrew. Sorry, John. Michael, we're going to get you hopping. We're going from one room to the other. It's like a tennis match. <laughs> My desire as your pastor and your friend and your brother is to encourage you that we would all be better students of the Word of God and really having an understanding and a grasp of what God is doing at our time because there are so many who are deceived today. There's so much disinformation today. There are so many believing that they're in a place with God that they are not. And I would never, ever, 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 ever want that for myself or for you. Amen? Andrew, sure. So in the story, Stephen, of course, talks about the historical accuracy of uh, what happened in the history of Israel. And of course, you can't be historically accurate about the history of America anymore. And as soon as he spoke truth out loud and revealed their sin and spoke the truth about the sin of what happened and that they're responsible for killing the prophets and they're responsible for their own heart and not repenting, then they wanted to, to 
kill Stephen, and they wanted to stone him to death, and that's the way it is right now for us. You speak truth out loud, you, you stand up for God, and, um, yeah, and they'll want to kill you. Yeah. And the purveyors of truth will suffer an assassination upon their character and their reputation and the truth claims that they make. You know. But that's okay, because we know, given enough time, you can do nothing against the truth, because the truth is the truth. And it will prevail in the end. Anyone else, please? Leslie. Yeah, wait for the mic, yeah? And the reason why we wait, and I thank you so much for your patience, is so that the folks listening online, hi everybody, can hear the response as well. Go ahead, Leslie. Well, all these um, comparisons to our government and our leaders and everything aside, I saw the comparison to the remnant church. Mm -hmm. And trying to speak the truth and walk out the truth. And even though the leaders there saw Stephen with the face of an angel, mm. and even though he was looking up like we are, <laughs> and, and um, saw the Lord seated high on the throne, it meant nothing to them. Nothing. Nothing at all. And so we should expect that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 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 One more? Anyone? You know, it blesses my heart to know that you take the word of God so seriously. And you went home and you read the text and, and you began to uh, pray and meditate and ask God to reveal to you the comparisons that are taking place. Because I'll uh, honest with you, well, we know that only 2%, 2% of the evangelical church in America even shares Bible prophecy, teaches eschatology, the study of the last days or end times. 2%. And of that 2%, it's unfortunate that the majority really aren't paying much attention to what is being taught. But I am so thankful, I am so blessed that in our little congregation, there is such a depth of knowledge with regard to the Word of God, and more importantly, a discernment on what God is doing today, right now in our time. Like the sons of Issachar. What, what was the sons of Issachar commended for? They could discern the signs of the time. And they knew what Israel ought to do. Can you discern the signs of the times and know what you're to do? Now, I was encouraging the men yesterday at the men's study that if, again, the Feast of Trumpets isn't over, and we know that the constellations sign because God gave many signs in the heavens. They're his heavens. I don't believe in astrology. Do you believe in astrology? Anybody ever ask you what your sign was? Anybody ever been asked what their sign was? Yeah, I, I was born in May. And so when people ask me my sign, you know what I tell them? I said, the lion. Wait a minute, is May the lion? Yeah. What's May? The bull. But well, that's a lot of bull, okay? <laughs> when they ask me my sign, I said, my sign is the lion. The lion? I said, yeah, I don't believe in astrology. I don't believe in any of that nonsense. I'm of the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's my sign. Amen? Hmm. But we know that God created the heavens and the earth and the seas and all therein, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, the fish in the sea, right? But he didn't create any aliens, or he would have told us. <laughs> but he did create angelic beings, right? Yeah. And so as we talked before, there are two worlds that exist, coexist at the same time. And once in a while, those two worlds kind of intersect, meet one another. Jesus showed us that often in his resurrected appearances. And don't be surprised and don't be fooled. Don't be deceived by the signs and wonders, power that God is allowing to take place right now in our day to deceive because they, wouldn't, they had no love of the truth. And so therefore, they would believe the lie. The lie. Are there aliens? Are there civilizations on other planets? No. Now, how can I say that so convincingly? Because if there were, my father would have told me in his word during creation. He gives creation accounts at least twice. No mention of angels, but aliens, but angels. And so we do know that there are, there are other beings, right? There are extraterrestrials. But there is God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and there is the angelic community. But beyond that, no. No. So don't be deceived, beloved. But there are going to come signs, wonders, and power displayed that would deceive the uninformed. 
And so I am thankful that you are like the sons of Issachar. You have discernment because you know the word of God. And if the Lord should tarry, if Tuesday should come and go and we're still here, what's the problem with that? There's none. That means we still have what? Work to do. Listen to me. Here's what I want to ask you. Now, Rosh Hashanah was Friday night. It began Friday night at sundown. It's the Jewish New Year. You know the situation, how the seventh month became the first month. The first month was formerly the seventh month, and how God changed all of that. But that's why Rosh Hashanah, or the Jewish New Year, happens at the time. It does. Happy New Year's. Now, if it's a new year, and if the Lord is giving us more time, if he's going to tarry, I want my remaining days to be my best in my service to the Lord. I want my remaining days to be more influential in the lives of other people, people that I love, casual acquaintances, whoever it might be, for the glory of God than ever before. I don't want to live for myself. I surely don't want to live for the pleasures of this world or the accumulation of more stuff or for my own personal pride. Prestige, glory, no, no, no. I shamefully admit too many of my 72 years have been lived that way. I know you can't relate. You've been living for the Lord ever since you met him, haven't you? <laughs> Praise God. But I want to encourage you in the time that we have remaining, and who knows how long it may be. We're to, we're to prepare and to live as if it's 100 years away. But there should be an expectancy in our hearts that it could be right now, right now. And, and how it affects the way we prioritize our life. And that's all I'm asking you to do right now, is to consider the priorities of your life. And would they really line up with God's priorities for your life? That's where Israel came short. Oh, my. Such potential. There was so much God wanted to do. It never had to be that way. Do you understand that? And so too with our nation, this culture. It never had to be this way. There was so much more God wants to do. You know, I always tell my wife, we want God's highest and best, don't we? But in order to get his highest and best, what must we do? What should our response be? To obey him to surrender, to yield, to become, to just obey the Lord. Just, just listen, nothing more. I'm not going to be creative, entrepreneurial. I'm going to just read the Bible and do what he tells me. Pretty simple, right? Simple to understand, but what? Oh, so difficult to do. And why? Because of this stinking flesh that I live in, right? That's the problem. That's the problem. Now, ask God to give you the power. As he gave Stephen, the first deacon, right? One of the first deacons of the church. And now, they weren't organized as such at that time, but that's what they became, the office of deacons, deaconos, right? There were seven that were selected. The first two were Stephen and Philip, and Luke mentions them first because he's going to expand upon how God used these two deacons. But God doesn't just want to use Stephen and Philip. God wants to use all of God doesn't want to just use Stephen and Philip. God wants to use all of us. Yeah. Are you allowing him to? That's what we're going to look at as well. But let's take a look at the text. We finished chapter 6. And Stephen was falsely accused. Now, the problem was that some of the things that they accused Stephen of were partially true. And, you know, it's always upsetting, and it's very hard to defend yourself when what they say about you is partially true. If it's completely false, well, that's easy. But if it's partially true, well, that's another matter. That's difficult, right? Hmm. And so what, let's pick it up in chapter 6, verse 13. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. And we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of a 
they're trying to present him as some kind of a monster, some kind of an evil lure, some kind of a man who's going to destroy the religion of the Jews. And he was anything but. And he's there so angelic looking. There, you know, what was reigning over Stephen's life at that time, which needs to reign over our lives continually, and particularly when we're in difficult situations, pressure situations. What was reigning in his life? Yeah. Now, the way Paul would put it is that let the peace of God reign. Where? In your heart. Now, that, that's what I want to ask you. You know, I think for most of us now, you know, we're not, we're not suffering too much. We, we have things that we suffer that are common to all men, but suffering for Christ and our love for Jesus, no, not so much, no. And, and how, listen, and to what extent is the peace of God reigning in your heart and in your life? Now, when it gets difficult, I mean, Stephen is being falsely accused. Listen to me, he's standing before, who's the high priest? The same one who sends Jesus to death, Caiaphas. Same one who sends Jesus to death. Previously, before they killed Jesus, who did they kill? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. John came as a messenger from God the... And they killed him. Jesus came as the Son of God, displayed the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, and salvation, and they killed him. Stephen comes full of the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're going to kill him. Amazing, isn't it? Hmm. How our world today is trying to stamp out, eradicate, destroy, commit deicide, kill the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But Stephen was controlled by the peace of God. That's what it means to let the peace of God reign in your hearts. It means it controls you. It means, you know, we don't have a spirit of fear. Perfect love has cast out all fear. What should we be afraid of? What's the worst thing that can possibly happen to us? They send me home? Praise the Lord. You know, praise the Lord. And so they falsely accused him, set up witnesses. Now, partially what he said was true, because did, did Jesus say the temple would be destroyed? Yeah. Yeah. The first time or second time the temple was destroyed? First time or second time the temple was destroyed? Second time. Very good. When was the first time? 586 B.C. By who? The Babylonians. The Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the first temple. Why does history continue to repeat itself? Because we don't learn from it at all. No. And it was so cyclic with, with Israel. Now, not with us. It won't be with us. Because you're not... America is not the apple of his eye. You, you are the church, the body of Christ. So don't make any mistake about that. But America is not the apple of his eye. America doesn't have a favored nation status in the eyes of God. Israel does. And that's why he gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. He said, no more. I'm done with you. Banished from my kingdom, my presence, my love forever. Is that what he said? No. Just for a season, just for a time. Hmm. Next Sunday. What day is next Sunday? What day of the week? 24th. Sunday, today's what? Okay. And seven days to today? Very good. Very good. You math majors, you're amazing. <laughs> next Sunday is the 24th. Okay. And next Sunday, we'll have Dr. Chafee with us. Saturday night, you need to come. Saturday night, invite your friends, invite your family. He's going to talk about the new heaven and new earth. And it's going to be a very positive message. So, so bring your friends who may not know the glorious hope that we have, right? Because of the book, the blood, and the blessed hope. That's what it's all about, right? But next Sunday, the 24th, at sundown, what is that? What is it? Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Regarding eschatology and the things to come, what would we believe would be associated with Yom Kippur? Israel will be awakened to who Jesus really is. He's not through with Israel. Paul would write to the Rome, through the Roman church there in Rome, and he would say, don't be ignorant of these things. I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. That hardening has happened just in part, just for a season, just for a time. 
But then God's going to open up the eyes of Israel. Hmm? Nonetheless, here Stephen is falsely accused like Jesus, like John before him. And they saw his face as a face of an angel. And then the high priest, Caiaphas, said, are these things so? And now Stephen is going to go ahead and address them. Now, they're really going to be indignant towards Stephen because they already have a prejudice against Stephen, a bias against They hate this young man. Why? What don't they like about Stephen? Besides him being a follower of Jesus, what really gives them indigestion, aggravation? He's a Grecian Jew. Half-hearted. Hmm? Hellenistic. And they, they, they thought they were superior. You know, that, that's what knowledge puffs up, but love. So they had it here, a lot of knowledge here, but it never computed, translated down into the heart to be exercised in love. We of all people, should we be prejudiced against anyone for any reason? No. We, as believers now, we only see two classes of people. There's only two people in the world today. What are they? Saints and ain'ts, right? Saints and ain'ts, that's it. Believers and unbelievers, that's all. That's how God sees all men. Hmm? Nonetheless, I said, these things so. And then he said, brethren, fathers, listen, how respectful. And, and they were his brothers. In the fact, they were all sons of Abraham. They, they were the fathers of the nation, the leaders. And how does he begin? Listen, how does he begin? What's the first thing he says? The, the God of glory. He, get, he begins with the kabat, the glory of God. That's a good place for all of us to begin when we're talking to somebody. It's not about your glory, my glory. It's not about the glory of the church. It's the glory of God. Hey, go to the end of the chapter. Chapter 7, look at verse uh, 55. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, this is Stephen again, gazed up into heaven and saw what? The glory. He begins with the glory of God, he ends with the glory of God. Isn't that a good place for us to be? Do you begin recognizing that you are here this morning when you woke up and you took that first breath of fresh air, got yourself out of bed, you, did you recognize you're to live for the glory of God? The God of glory. And when we lay our head down on the pillow tonight, hopefully we'll all do that. You know, I put my boots on this morning, no guarantee I'm taking them off. Could be somebody at the hospital or the morgue. No guarantees, right? But at the end of the day, when I lay my head on the pillow, I hope I can say, Lord, all for your glory. The God of glory has worked through my life for the glory of God. He ends with the glory. He begins with the glory. He ends with the glory of God. Don't we want our life to display that as well? Isn't that amazing from this deacon? He's not a pastor. He's not the elder. He's a deacon. It's amazing. All God is looking for is availability. Not your abilities, but your availability. And then he'll use you. Yes, the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. So what did Abraham, what did Abraham have to do? He had to go rent a Ur Hall. Go rent an Ur Hall and get out of Ur of the Chaldees, right? And he was going to obey God because God had spoken to him. This is amazing how God now has chosen a man through which he's going to work. A very flawed man, by the way. Abram, his wife's name was? Sarai. Sarai. And God is going to use this couple to bring about the salvation of the world through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And he said, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. And sometimes God does separate us from a place of our beginning and even sometimes from our family. Jesus said some of our greatest foes will be members of our own house. Perfect love, and that's Jesus. Perfect love said, if you don't love me more than you love mother, father, son, or daughter, husband, or wife, then it's questionable whether you're my disciple. You're not worthy to be my disciple. No human relationship should precede the relationship we have with Jesus. Isn't that true? And Abraham recognized 
God had put that measure of faith in his heart, where immediately he left his own country. He left where he was comfortable. He left his home, and he left all of his relatives. To go where? He didn't know. And then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans, and he dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved to this land in which we now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But, and, and, but even when Abraham had no children, he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. Wait a minute. Abraham would have no possession in the land. In, in uh, Genesis chapter 15, it tells us that the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, I will be your shield and what? Your exceedingly great reward. The father of the faithful. God was enough. Is Jesus sufficient? Is, is he enough? Is he enough to bring contentment into your life? Is he enough to bring peace into your life? Is he enough to settle you? Is he or is he not? Isn't Jesus enough? Wow. So many, so many who call themselves by his name don't seem to be satisfied with Jesus. There's this, this hunger, this thirst in them that, that isn't of the Lord. It's fleshly, it's earthly, it's carnal. And yet they won't allow the Lord to, to bring satisfaction to that hunger, to quench that thirst. But he said to Abraham, Abraham, I am your shield, and I am your great, exceedingly great reward. And it says that Abraham believed the Lord. Later on in the same chapter, chapter 15, and Abraham believed the Lord, and what does it say? In the court of heaven, it was registered legally that it was, he was reckoned righteous. Abraham, you are now declared in the court of heaven righteous. Why? Because he believed. And he was righteous because he obeyed the law. The law wasn't even given yet. Moses wasn't even born. No, no, no. He obeyed God because of the right of circumcision. Is that right? No, the right of circumcision was simply symbolic of giving your heart to God. That wouldn't occur for 17 years. So how was Abraham reckoned righteous? By? And faith alone. Faith alone. Now, I want to suggest that it was God who put, with Abraham, put within the heart of Abraham to believe God. Yeah. But that belief in God, that surrender to God, that, that Jesus was enough. You're my reward, Lord. You know, we're cycling on the beach, you know, and, and I, we love to cycle the beach. So when we go on vacation, one of the things my wife likes to do is cycle, and she cycles my legs off. I need to come home for a rest. But as we're cycling the beach, she's looking at all these, these, these very expensive homes along the beach. And she'd say, which one would you like? And I go, <laughs> she'd, no, 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 which, 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 if you had, if you had the opportunity, which one? That's what, listen, that's where my home is. That's where my paradise is. It's not here. And, and we're becoming painfully aware of that more and more, aren't we? Yeah, that our, that our hope and the promises, it's not here. No, it's there. Yeah. Which one do you want? That's the one I want. Beloved, is he enough? Now listen, you've got to be honest, because God knows. You know, and God knows. Whether you're living like he's enough, or not. And if it's the not, make a change. How can I make that change? By getting on my knees, and humbling myself, and asking God, please, what do we sing? Change my heart, oh God? Isn't that what we sing? How appropriate. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true, Lord. May you be first and foremost in my heart, and, and Lord, may I come to the place where I recognize your sufficiency. Through the sufficiency of your word, I come to realize your sufficiency in my life. You're all that I need. Wow. Abraham had learned that. And when his father died, his father Torah, 
He went to the land of Canaan, but he had no inheritance in the land. But even when Abraham had no children, he promised to give the land for a possession to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring, he would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. Oh, goodness. God's foretelling of the future? Why? Because he knows. He knows the beginning. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything. And so he's, he's explaining exactly what's going to happen. Was it God's desire that they go into bondage, into captivity in Egypt for 400 years? No. Now, a Abraham, unlikely sort, really. I mean, he, did he display fidelity in his relationship with Sarai? There was a famine in the land, remember? And they went down to Egypt. And, and I don't know how much Pharaoh could have seen when she's covered up, and the only thing he could see is right here. But somehow he concluded she's a looker, you know. What was beautiful about her? Her eyes. How, how often we go somewhere and, and we encounter someone and we see him in their eyes, right? And we say, hey, 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 tell me, do you know him? I can see it in your eyes. I see the light in your eyes. And so Abraham told her, well, tell them you're my... And she ends up in Pharaoh's harem. Now, the, the truth was, she was his half-sister. He was her, half, her half-brother. That's the truth, but it wasn't all the truth because they were also husband and wife. Kind of concealed that truth. And so that night, in the dream, God told Pharaoh, you touch her, you're dead. <laughs> but I would have been a little upset if I was Sarah. I don't know if I'd want to go back following Abraham if he would lead me into Pharaoh's harem. Once, shame on you. Twice. But it happened a second time, you remember? Abimelech? Yeah. Same situation. Abra now this is Abraham. Hmm. The father of the faithful. Hmm. Oh boy, Lord, let me display fidelity in this, the most important relationship I have in this life, more than anywhere else, Lord. Help me, because I need help to do that. And then we have Isaac. And Isaac, the only thing Isaac really did was what? Do what? Copied his father. Copied his father. He married Rachel. That's about it, really. I mean, you don't see Isaac doing anything other than he was as the Akadah, an example of God, the sacrifice of God, where he was willing to yield his life. But then after that, he has... He wasn't a very good father. No, he wasn't a very good father. He has... Two sons, and who were they? Jacob, Jacob and Esau. And Esau, we know, boy, he was nothing but problem for the descendants of Abraham to this very day. And then Jacob. Jacob had how many sons? Twelve. Good family, bad family, dysfunctional, functional? Highly high, high, Listen, you would not want that family living next to you. No way, Jose. Okay? Isn't it amazing that God uses the most unlikely people to bring about his plan of salvation? Wow. Now, he, we, he, Stephen he skip, skips over all of that, but what he's trying to present to the Jews is that, listen, God had a plan. God had a man. And you rejected his plan, you rejected his man, and therefore you rejected God. He's going to bring out Abraham first. God had a plan through Abraham, and then he wanted to do through Isaac, through Jacob, through the 12 tribes. And they rejected that plan of God. And they rejected the man of God. Right? And that's what we're going to see throughout this. And to this very, listen, to this very day, that's what we're doing as a nation. Rejecting his plan, rejecting his man, the man who was on the cross. But I will bring them into bondage, verse 7, and the nation to whom they will be in bondage I will judge. And God said, after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. Now, when did they go in there? How, how many were there? They went in the family of Jacob? Seventy. Seventy. With 75, there's some, you know, because of the uh, sons and grandsons of Joseph, they count 75, but it was 70 specific. But how, how many came out 400 years later? Two and a half million. 
It's estimated that at least, at least two and a half million, they went in a family, they came out a nation. The army of God. That's what he's talking about here. And then he gave him, Abraham, the covenant of circumcision. So that Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. So rehearsing the history, how God had chosen to use Abraham, Abraham, and then his son Isaac, his son Jacob, the 12 fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. But they rejected God's plan. They rejected God's man. They rejected God. Because they're trying to glorify. You see, these, the Sanhedrin, these that are judging Stephen now, those that judged Jesus, those that judged John the Baptist, claim to be worshiping and obeying the fathers. Well, let me talk about your fathers. Now, I'm thankful for our forefathers, but they were far from perfect, weren't they? They were deists. But as I pointed out to you, what was the name of Washington, D.C., early on? Rome. And what were our forefathers trying to produce? The Roman Republic. Hmm. And if we look at the architecture of Washington, D.C., we said, whoa, boy, that was not good. Not good at all. But in spite of all of that, God had, what did you say, Leslie, a remnant? Is that what you saw, a remnant? Yeah. So through it all, you'll see the rejection of the masses, the multitude, but God always has a remnant. Isn't that wonderful? And you know that you know that you know that you're part of the remnant church. Not, not, not the church christened dumb, but you're part of the body of... Yeah, yeah. There's a difference. There's a difference between that living organism, the body of Christ, and this organization called Christendom. And the patriarchs, verse 9, became envious and sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. <laughs> Now, the rejection of Joseph by the fathers. That's what we're going to talk to him about next. You know, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, right? They were the first they were going to kill him. But Reuben protected him from being killed. And they sold him into slavery to the Midianite traders. And then he went down into Egypt and they sold him into Potiphar's house, right? And then eventually he's falsely accused, Joseph again. And, and they, he's cast into Pharaoh's, which is a death sentence. But it's interesting, with every negative turn of Joseph's life, the Bible says, and the Lord was with him. The Lord purposed those things to bring humility, strength, maturity into the life of Joseph. Hmm. Yeah, your fathers rejected the man that God had chosen, Joseph. Yes, but God was with him, verse 9. Verse 10, and delivered him out of all of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over all of the house of Egypt. Now a famine and a great trouble came over the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. The first time when Joseph came to him, and he came dressed in what? When the first time Joseph presented himself to his brothers, there's 300 analogies, 300 analogies that you can make in Genesis with regard to the life of Joseph and Jesus. Joseph is a type of Jesus. When he first comes to his brothers, the first time he's dressed in what? His what? His coat of many colors. Who gave him that coat? His father. What was the symbolic of? Righteousness. Righteousness. We now are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, right? Now, the first time he came to his brothers, they rejected him. They wanted to kill him. They sold him into slavery. But the second time they encountered Joseph, well, he's not wearing that coat of many colors then, is he? He's second unto Pharaoh in Egypt. He's the glory of Egypt. Demonstrated. They, they were in great reverence and fear of him. But then when he revealed himself to them, they accepted him. They bowed down to him and gave him the honor and the reverence that he was due. First time he was rejected. Second time, he's received. We know that Israel, the Jews, have rejected their Messiah the first time. 
He came to his own, and his own received him not. But we know he's coming again a second time. What's the 24th? That's the day it's going to happen. He's going to open the eyes of Israel, and they will see him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn. Zechariah chapter 12. Verse 13, and the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called for his father Jacob and all of his relatives to come to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died. He and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem in the land of the tomb that Abraham bought from a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Now, we know that it says that Abraham had no inheritance in the land. But he did possess a very small piece of land. And what was that called? The cave of Machpelah. You don't remember in Hebron? Cave of Machpelah. And that's, that's what they're referring to here. You know, although the patriarchs, the 12 tribes, they were buried in the tomb in Shechem. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rachel, they were in the Machpelah plot of ground that Abraham purchased as a burial place for his family, for his own. And that's all he ever had in this life. We're just passing through, beloved. We're just sojourners, right? We're not vagabonds. What's a vagabond? A wanderer who has no home. That's a vagabond. Most, most, listen to me. Most of this world is a vagabonds. They're wandering through. They have no home, no eternal home. Oh, but we're, that's not us. We're pilgrims. We're soldiers. We're just passing through because this is not my home. Heaven is. Hmm? And Abraham knew that. Hmm. So Joseph sent and called his father, 75 people. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died there, and their fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid them in a tomb that Abraham bought for the sum of money and the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Verse 17, but when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till the king arose who did not know Joseph. For this man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. What were they afraid of? Because they, the Hebrews were multiplying like rabbits. They were much stronger people. And the women of, of the Jews, the Hebrews were much stronger than the women of Egypt. And so they were producing children. They weren't having uh, the difficulty at childbirth that the Egyptians did. And so now the Egyptians are fearing that they're going to multiply exceedingly and then overtake them. And so the Pharaoh determined that every male child that is born among the Hebrews is to, to be killed. When have we not killed babies? There's never been, listen to me, there's never been a time in the heart of evil man where he's not killed his children. His babies. And look what we're doing to our babies today. 20 years ago, if some educator in an elementary school situation told a little boy that he was a girl, a little girl that she was a boy, and was going to help them get the medications that are necessary to reverse what's taking place naturally in the body, and then, and then provide a surgery to mutilate the body, what would we have done to that person? They go to jail. Child abuse. Horrible. Now we have a government that legislates this abomination. Oh, 73. What came about in 73? Abortion. Roe v. Wade. Legalizing the killing of children. And now we're legalizing the mutilation of our children. The psychological and emotional abuse we're bringing upon our children is worse than the physical. There's no regard. When have we not? When have we not? Pharaoh had a plan to destroy all of the male Hebrew children.
At this time Moses was born, verse 20, and was well-pleasing to God, the Deliverer, God's choice. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. Who was his father? Amram. His mother? Jacobet. Amram and Jacobet. Come on now, you know your history, right? You know your Jewish history, Israel history? Amram and Jacobet. And they were to give their children to the Nile. Their form of abortion was to throw their children in the Nile. What would happen if they threw their children in the Nile? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, know, you can imagine that the place where they would toss these children was probably infested by crocodile, Nile crocodiles. Isn't that horrible? Jacobet. Perhaps, perhaps God will have mercy upon us. And, and she built an ark of reeds, the rushes. And she placed it in the Nile. And she just trusted God. You know, it's crazy what our world is doing to our kids, isn't it? And it's crazy how our children are rejecting so much of what we believe. Our children, our grandchildren, rejecting us. Is that not true? But we have to give them to God. We have, listen, we have to place them in that bed of rush. Lay them out into the river of life and say, God, your will be done. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. When our children become young adults, when they know the difference between right and wrong, and they choose the wrong, who's that on? Yeah. It's on them. It's on them. I wish to God I had a different childhood. I wish to God I had a different upbringing, but I didn't. But I thank God. And as an adult man, 30 years of age, God showed me the truth. I was living a lie. I was choosing the evil instead of the good. And then I made a conscious choice to turn. And he's been helping me ever since. Was it my parents' fault? Was it the society's fault? It's my sinful nature. We all have to take responsibility, don't we? Hmm? My fault. I chose. Hmm. Now, I do recognize that there are children that are brought up in very difficult environments like mine, very dysfunctional. But for the grace of God, right? But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up in her own, as her own son. And Moses learned all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deed. What did, what did Moses do in Egypt? What are some of the mighty deeds he performed? He was a mighty army general or commander, commander of the Pharaoh's army. I mean, he was one tough dude. He was a warrior, okay? Not only was he a warrior, he was an academician. He was a very intelligent man. Now, being, I mean, he had the whole package. He was good-looking, he was smart, he was powerful. What does that do to a man? Get you all puffed up, doesn't it? His first 40 years of life, he came to the place where he really believed he was something. I'm really something, right? And when a man is so full of himself, what can you do about that? When a man or a woman is so full of themselves, there's nothing we can do. You know, I don't know, somehow we got on the subject of demonic influence and oppression and, and possession the other day. And, and you know, I, I, the, God's given us power. Jesus Christ has given us power over the enemy. I don't fear the enemy. I don't fear the dark. I, I only want to be exposed to what God wants me to be exposed to and nothing more. I, don't, I choose not to go into the dark. I choose not to go into that realm. I don't want to be informed of what the enemy's doing. I want to know what Jesus is doing. I'm not looking for antichrist. I'm waiting for Jesus Christ. Are you? So stay away from the darkness and the works of darkness unless God calls you into that for a specific purpose of ministry. Otherwise, your, your curiosity is going to cause you a problem. Listen to me, beloved. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Stop being curious with regard. Huh. Has he really said we can't eat that? You know. I mean, why were you even under the tree? Curiosity brought her there. 
didn't it? And what happened? Well, she was overcome by evil. Hmm. Now, when we're living in accordance with God's will for our life, we have power. So I don't fear the devil, I don't fear demons. And, and God has given me power to perform a deliverance for people who are oppressed or even possessed of the devil. We have the power to do that as a church, the ecclesia of Jesus Christ. But if a man or a woman is full of themselves, what can I or you do about that? Pray. Pray. That's all I can do. There's, when, a, when a person is so filled with pride, so full of themselves, there's nothing you can do. And, and, you know, God had to work that out of Moses. For 40 years, Moses came to the place where he thought he was really something. He, I'm God's gift. And obviously the people of Israel were recognized. Look at the text. 40 years, and he was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffering wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed, and he struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. Come on, how can you not understand? I'm God's gift to you. Boy, I met, I met a lot of people who have that attitude. Have you? And they're all over Christian television and YouTube. And, and they are so full. Of, and it just takes a few minutes to listen to them. And you'll know they're so full of themselves. They don't begin with the glory of God. They don't end with the glory of God. It's all about the glory of themselves and what they've done. And how God speaks to them and the revelation they received. And the it's, Don't listen to that garbage. Moses, supposing they would understand, I'm God's gift. But they did not understand, verse 26. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Moses came to his brethren the first time, and what did they do? Just like Joseph, Joseph came to his brethren the first time, and they, hmm, interesting. Joseph had to be humbled, too. You know, Joseph was a spoiled. Yeah. And who did that? His father, Jacob. Now, that's a word. Listen, listen, parents, the worst thing you can do is spoil your children because you're making it hard on your son-in-law, your daughter-in-law, and everybody else who's exposed to these brats. No, I'm serious. You know, I, I wanted to raise my son so everybody loved my son, not just me. I raised my dog so everybody loves my dog, not just me. Right? But if you make a monster out of your dog, you make a brat out of your children, well, you're the only one that's going to love them. <laughs> That'll be short-lived, too. <laughs> Wait till they become adults. Huh? A little bratish here becomes a monster here, doesn't it? Yeah. So, so Joseph had to be humbled. When he was sold by the Midianites into Egypt, when he was sold by the Midianites to Potiphar and then eventually ended up in Pharaoh's prison, it was all for the purpose of humbling him and maturing him. Same with Moses now. Look what takes place. Look at the text. Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? And then at, saying, at this saying, Moses fled and he became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. Now, what happened in the land of Midian? What was he doing there? This mighty man of God, this warrior, this all-intelligent, this gift of God to the world, what was he doing? Following Jethro's sheep, stepping in sheep dung all day. What was he learning there? For 40 years, he thought he was something. Now he's learning he's nothing, nothing. Isn't that amazing? 40 years of becoming something, 40 more years of God proving that he is Nothing. What are you? Who am I? Nothing. Nothing. But God is everything. Hmm? And then it says, after 40 years, verse 30, he passed and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of a fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And Moses saw it, marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. And then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. 
I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groanings and have come down to deliver them. And now come and I will send you to Egypt. Now, what was Moses' response to all of that? I, I can't even speak, Lord. He protested three times. And finally, God said, okay, okay, Aaron's going to speak for you, okay? Forty years, believing he was something. Forty years, recognizing he was nothing. And now, forty years, realizing God can do something with a... Isn't that wonderful? Do you recognize you're a nothing? That, that, is, that is fertile ground. That is tremendous opportunity potential for God to do something when you recognize your... Only a couple of you know that? Great potential, great promise. And the fact that God can do something when each of us recognize where? You have, you have a hard time saying it, don't you? Don't you? And you have a harder time believing it. But it's all true. Why, Why do we have such a difficult time? Because we're in an anthropocentric church today. The church today believes it's all about me. Anthropocentric, man-centered. Their worship is man-centered. Everything they do is man-centered. How you feeling today, church? You know, they pump you up and they get these. It's not about you. I don't care how you feel, how you think. What do you think? What do you believe? It's all about Jesus. Early church was Christocentric. The most Christocentric Bible, the book in the Bible is what? Colossians. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's the mysterious of Colossians. Christ in me. It's not about me, it's about Christ. But the church today has made it all about the church, about the individual, even their music. It's songs sung about themselves, not about the glory of God. Hmm. Forty years, and the angel came to him in the burning bush. I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. And then the Lord said to him, take the sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Wherever God is, it's holy. Right? So then, what are you? Holy. I'm holy writ. Paul, Paul, in writing to the Roman church, he says, you are the agapetos, kaletos, hagios. Agapetos, beloved. Kaletos, called. Hagios, holy saint. That's how God sees us now. Not, not because he's walking around on the ground, but because he's inside of each of us. And where God is, it is holy. And because of the Holy Spirit, God himself dwelling within you, do you have any, anything to fear from the darkness? No, they have everything to fear from us. Right? Who was the Queen of England said she was never afraid of the armies of the Scots or of Europe, but she was afraid of John Knox when he was on his knees. Satan trembles when the saints are on their knees praying to God. Hmm? Yes, I have seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning. I have come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send you to Egypt. Isn't that comforting? Isn't what comforting? Yeah, he's going to do the work, but, but isn't it comforting that God knows, that God sees, that God hears? Go in your closet and pray to your Father who is in heaven, and when you pray in secret, he will hear, and he will answer your prayers. I'm so thankful that my God does hear the cries of my heart. I'm so thankful that he hears the groanings of my mind, the things that bother me, and that my father knows best, and he will answer. He will work on my behalf and yours. Aren't we glad we're not orphans? We're the children of God? Now, here we have an example of the fathers of Israel that rejected Joseph when he came to them. 
the first time. They rejected Moses when he came to them the first time. They rejected Jesus when he came to them the first time. But these wonderful examples for us, we know that the second time Joseph appeared to his brethren in his glory, they received him. We know the second time that Moses came in God's glory using the staff that God had given him with miracles and power, signs and wonders, they received him. And we know that Jesus is coming very soon to make himself manifest to Israel. Maybe next week. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And they will receive him. Glorious time in which we live. I guess we'll have to stop here. We'll finish chapter 7 next week. No, we won't, because Dr. Chafee will be here. We'll finish it the week after, okay? <laughs> but as I... Your closing remarks as the worship team comes forward. Here's what I'd like you to focus on, beloved. How many of you were... Come on up, come on up, come on up. Worship team, come on up. How many of you were excited about the fact that potentially we may be leaving here very soon? Very, very soon. Well, good. There's a few of you. Now, now uh, listen, I, I expect it. I really do. I, I came in this morning thinking, Lord, is it during the worship? Lord, is it during the teaching? Well, Lord, maybe even now at this moment, Lord, maybe now? And I know many of you will say, well, no, you know, it's not yet, not yet. No, I believe it could be right now. But if I'm here Wednesday night and we're going through Ezekiel, I want you to know that I'm going to be, I'm going to be purposing to be more surrendered to Jesus, more of an influencer for Jesus, more living for the glory of God than ever before in my life, God willing, by his power and his strength. That's my desire. Things are changing so rapidly, so quickly. You can't put any hope or any trust in the future here. But we have a glorious promise given to us that is absolutely guaranteed. And let's work now harder for that promise than for anything, any lie that this world promises us. Let our remaining days be our best days and let the Lord so fill our lives that we... You look like an angel to me, dear. Yeah. That, that we have an angelic countenance. That when people look into your eyes, they'll see the light of the world, Jesus. So let your light shine. Amen? Shall we stand? Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.